0: Welcome to UU Akron Service Cast, brought to you by the Unitarian Universalist Church of Akron, a loving and welcoming community for all. If you would like more information about Unitarian Universalism or our community, please visit us at uuakron.org. On November 8, 2016, we will exercise our most sacred right in democracy, the right to vote. Today's service will celebrate the right to vote and remember the struggle to guarantee that right for most of our citizens, a struggle that continues
1: to this day. We begin this morning, friends, with words from my colleague, Anita Farber-Robertson, and she says, welcome to a day of hope and promise. Welcome to a place of peace and comfort. Welcome to a journey toward truth and justice and to a community that will help us along the way. Come, let us worship together. So as our service begins, I'd now like to invite Susan to come forward and offer our chalice lighting words. And Jennifer is going to light our chalice this morning. These words are from Alan Deal. The light of
2: this chalice is a frail thing. It can be snuffed out by the winds of cynicism and apathy. May its little flame be a reminder of the power of the spirit. Let us rededicate ourselves to providing light that lifts our hearts and increases the world's joy. This morning's story is a traditional
0: Jakarta tale from the Buddhist tradition. The first section, the story, is the traditional, and then the second part, I'll call the children up. So listen up, kids, because there's going to be part two, and that is a... A modern adaptation. The wise teachers test. Once upon a time on the outskirts of a big city in Japan there lived in there was an old temple. From a young age boys who wanted to study Buddhism would come to live in the temple and learn from the master teacher, a Buddhist monk. One day the Buddhist monk who ran this small temple decided to teach his young students a lesson. He gathered them around him and spoke. My dear students, as you can see, I'm growing old and slow. I can no longer provide for the needs of the temple as I once did. I know I have not yet taught you to work for money, and so I can only think of one thing that can keep our school from closing. The students drew close with eyes wide. Our nearby city is full of wealthy people with more money in their purses than they could ever need. I want you to go into the city and follow these rich people as they walk through the crowded streets or when they walk down the deserted alleyways. When no one is looking, and only when no one is looking, you must steal their purses from them. That way, we will have enough money to keep our school alive. But master, the boys chorused, in disbelief, you have taught us that it's wrong to take anything that does not belong to us. Yes, indeed I have, the old monk replied. It would be wrong to steal if it were not absolutely necessary. And remember, you must not be seen. If anyone can see you, you must not steal. Do you understand? The boys looked nervously from one to the other. Had their beloved teacher gone mad? His eyes shone with an intensity such they had never seen before. Yes, master, they said quietly. Good, he said. Now go, and remember, you must not be seen. The boys got up and quietly began to file out of the temple building. The old monk rose slowly and watched them go. When he turned back inside, he saw that one student was standing quietly in the corner of the room. Why do you not go with the others, he asked the boy. Do you not want to help save our temple? I do, master, said the boy quietly. But you said that we had to steal without being seen. I know there's no place on earth that I would not be seen, for I'll always see myself. Excellent, exclaimed the teacher. That is just the lesson that I hope my students would learn. But you are the only one to see it. Now quickly, run and tell your friends to return to the temple before they get us into trouble. <laughs> the boy ran and got his friends who were nervously gathered just out of sight of the temple trying to decide what to do. When they returned, the master told them the words the boy had spoken, and they all understood the lesson. This morning I have on the blue scarf from our rainbow principles. One of our Unitarian Universalist principles is the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process in our congregations and in society. Right, conscience, conscience, And democratic. The children's version of this is believe in your ideals and act on them. Now I'd like to invite the children up so we can find out what happens in the rest of the story. So the one student found out that his conscience, that little voice inside of him, told him I can always see what I'm doing so I can't go out and do something that I know is wrong. But there's still a problem in that the temple did actually still need money. They still had to figure out how to support their teacher and to support the temple so they could continue learning. So all the boys got together and they started talking about what they could possibly do. Well, one boy said, well, maybe we can just go out into the, into the town and offer to do chores for people and ask them for money for doing chores, and then we can do that. And another boy said, well, I know what we could do is we could learn to sew, and we can sew clothing, and we can go out and sell it in the community for money. A third boy said, because it was all boys in this temple, not that it's always boys who are in temples, he said, perhaps all the things that we've learned, all the knowledge we have now, we could go and offer to teach the children in the towns the lessons that we know and teach them what we have learned and the parents can pay us to become the tutors for their children. Well, they started talking back and forth about what was the best thing to do and what can we do and what's going to work and oh it even turned into a kind of a disagreement maybe even an argument what do you guys think would might be the best idea do you have any ideas on what they could do
1: boys can ask the students
2: to also
0: help. As a tutor. Okay, so you like the third idea? Well, they finally decided since they couldn't all agree, we'll just have to have a vote. They all voted, and it turned out that called and your idea was the one that they chose. They thought we already have this knowledge. We're going to go and we're going <clears> to <throat> we're going to teach. And do you know what? The people in the town really appreciated that. They appreciated having tutors for their children, even though. They didn't all agree, they all went out and they all became tutors in the town and raised the money for the temple. That was how they learned the lesson about remembering that there's always someone watching what you do and that's yourself and that they can decide together what the best way to support their temple is. Believe in your ideals and act on them. That's something we can all do.
2: This is titled, Prayer on the Eve of an Election, and it's by Tess Bomberger. Spirit of wisdom, as we prepare to elect new citizens to lead us in our communities, towns and cities, and in our counties, states, and in our heart-torn nation, grant us wisdom and discernment so that we may choose those of peaceful heart, of competent mind, and of servant spirit. Spirit of the harvest, help us to winnow the grain from the chaff and to reap the legacy of freedom our founders planted for all of us. Help us to gather together as one people united in concern for this country founded upon such promising ideals. Spirit of healing, Grant that we may bridge the breaches that have opened between us. Help us to understand one another, to listen to the stories of who we are, and to find common ground on which we can move forward together. Amen. This reading. has been adapted from writing by Sharon Salzberg. Sharon Salzberg is an author and a teacher of Buddhist meditation practices. I believe voting is a great privilege and that civic participation is an expression of compassion. When I choose to vote, I am affirming that we all matter, that we all count, that we all deserve to be happy, peaceful, and safe. Of course there are terrible flaws in the system. But choosing to vote doesn't have to bring with it a full sense of acceptance of the system. I think about the fact that there are fewer polling locations available in poor neighborhoods or those primarily inhabited by people of color. These manipulations are dehumanizing, and they happen too frequently we might choose to vote by keeping in mind those brought down by the system. That's precisely one of the reasons to vote. No matter how divorced we feel from current events, or even if we feel downright removed from the system, those who hold public office and the policies they choose to institute make a real difference. We may not feel the difference directly, But it's actually there in many places. I was able to go to college because of the New York Regents Scholarship. Many years later, a friend told me her life had been saved by changes in health policy that enabled her insurance company to reimburse treatment for her son's mental health illness in parity with physical illness. I learned today that a friend of one of my students who recently came out as transgender discovered that his health insurance company would cover the cost of his surgery. A change that will enable him to live a life as his authentic self and that he believes will save his life. It doesn't take an extensive analysis for any of us to acknowledge how many people are affected by the law or by those making it. These examples are just proverbial drops in the bucket, and yet they are also big life changes on an individual level. For me, for my friend and her son, and for my student's friend, and for my student. Those life changes matter. Voting is about taking responsibility as a human to oneself to other humans, and to the world. And through choosing to vote, we can acknowledge how connected our lives really are, if we allow ourselves to
1: see it that way. Our second reading this morning is called Election Day, and it comes from my colleague, a Unitarian Universalist, the Reverend Gary Kowalski. Now, this reading is going to sound like Gary like wrote it this morning, or maybe tomorrow, but he wrote it a number of years ago, but it sure fits, I think, where many of us are right now. It is the day before the election, or I should say two days before the election as I write these lines, and whatever the outcome, I sure will be glad when it's over. <laughs> Some will be elated by the results, others will feel dejected. But regardless of who wins or loses, our world will still be broken and suffering from ills that government is powerless to cure. Our lives will still be chaotic and in need of tranquility. Grief and loss will continue to haunt us, and we will still face the challenge of finding meaning and a faith that can sustain us through tough times. Voting is important but there are many other ways in which we can exercise power in our own lives and influence the world for the better. Self-government, after all, begins at home with how I treat my neighbor, relate to my family, care for my community, and how I work and play. Hope for the future depends less on who gets elected than on our ability to exercise our own power for good gary kowalski well good morning again thank you so much for joining us on what i hope will be a positive affirming and inspiring send-off for all of you as election day finally arrives on tuesday i know for many this has been an especially difficult and divisive campaign between the controversies over classified emails unreleased tax returns, and so-called locker room conversations about sexual assault. This has been one of the most negative and destructive campaigns in my memory. I certainly agree, and I'm guessing from the reaction a moment ago that many here today do as well with the sentiments of Gary Kowalski when he simply says, I'll be glad when it's over. What a shame it is that this campaign has been so focused on the politics of personal destruction rather than on the many issues and challenges that confront our nation and the world." But rather than listening to serious debates about issues like immigration and racism in the criminal justice system, climate change, poverty and inequality, and so many other important issues, we've instead been subjected to simplistic and often derogatory slogans like build that wall, lock her up, to name just a few how I long for a real policy debate in which the candidates acknowledge and explore their differences without demonizing one another or calling into question their opponent's character or fitness to serve. But alas, that's not the world we live in, and things don't seem likely to change anytime soon. Although our country has always been divided along partisan lines, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, those divisions seem to be more resistant to compromise and working across the aisle than at any time in our history. At least that's my perception. Okay, so by now you're saying, now wait a minute, didn't Tim just tell us he was gonna give us a positive and affirming send off for election day? Well, I did, and I promise I'm getting to it. (laughs) But what I think you're hearing from me is the extreme negativity and destructiveness the current campaign has had on my own sense of hope and optimism about the future of our democracy. And yet, as a Unitarian Universalist, I refuse to give in to cynicism and despair because faith in the democratic process is an essential part of our religion. In fact, as you heard earlier, democracy is affirmed in one of our seven principles, the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and in society at large. I can't think of another faith tradition that actually celebrates democracy as a religious and spiritual value, and I am so proud of the fact that we Unitarian Universalists place such a high value on the promise and possibilities of democracy and the democratic process. And I think the reason we see democracy in religious terms can be found in the words of our first reading from Sharon Salzberg, as she says so well, when I choose to vote, I am affirming that we all matter, that we all count, and that we all deserve to be happy, peaceful, and safe. In Unitarian Universalism, democracy matters because all people matter, not just the privileged the saved or the elect, or the elected for that matter. Every person possesses dignity and worth and no one, no one should be excluded from making decisions that impact their lives and the world. Now, in addition to being named in our principles, the importance of democracy and Unitarian Universalism is also revealed in our very long and rich history. Although this isn't widely known, The most famous one-sentence affirmation of democracy in the history of our country, President Lincoln's closing sentence in the Gettysburg Address, which celebrates government of the people, by the people, and for the people, was actually an unattributed quote from a speech given 15 years earlier by the 19th century Unitarian minister, Theodore Parker. So of the people, by the people, and for the people come out of Unitarianism. In that essay, Parker celebrated what he called the American idea, which is rooted in this notion of government of the people, which he felt was the only way to achieve, in his words, eternal justice and the law of God, which he then summed up in one word, freedom. Throughout our history, Unitarian Universalists have courageously worked and sacrificed on behalf to extend voting rights to all people. Countless Unitarian and Universalist women, for example, worked for decades on behalf of women's suffrage in the 19th and early 20th centuries. And two Unitarian Universalists, the Reverend James Reeb and Vi- Viola Liuzzo, were killed while working for voting rights in Selma, Alabama. And here's a couple of slides. I just I think I've shown you these before. That's the memorial to James Reeb. You can see it's a chalice that's just on the, st- on the street in Selma on the sidewalk, right at the spot where he was attacked. And here's the monument to Vi- Viola Liuzzo, which is along the Selma to Montgomery Highway. And um, I think I mentioned the last time I showed this image that when I was there, I had to actually take my phone and put it inside bars, which were protecting the monument and um, so that you wouldn't see them in the picture. And the reason I had to do that is because that those bars weren't originally there, but they had to put them there because people kept spray painting the Confederate flag on that monument. Yeah, we have a long way to go. But their sacrifice, Reeb and Liuzzo's sacrifice, and the courage of so many others transformed our nation and helped bring into being one of the most important laws in our history, the Voting Rights Act, of 1965 and I also want to take a moment while I'm celebrating all these wonderful Unitarian Universalists throughout our history all the people who have done the legwork registering people to vote working or volunteering on behalf of a particular candidate or issue or perhaps serving as a precinct worker on election day these Unitarian Universalists, including, I know, many who are sitting right here in the sanctuary, have given so much of their time and energy to breathing life into our democracy. In fact, let's take a poll. Why not? The news is full of them. So who here, just raise your hands, who here has ever, either currently or ever, registered someone to vote? made phone calls or gone door-to-door on behalf of a particular candidate or issue, or volunteered on election day at a polling precinct? Raise your hands. I mean, check it out. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Okay, thank you. You can put your hands down. Well, I just want to congratulate you and thank you for your passion and commitment to democracy. And I want to thank you for your patriotism. I don't use that word patriotism very often because I don't like how it's so often used to divide and demean people. But may I say that each and every one of you is a patriot in the best sense of the word because you have done or are doing your part to make the democratic process work and thrive. And may I also compliment you for living your UU faith in such an important and meaningful way. I can think of few actions a member of our religion or of this congregation could take to better live out the true meaning of Unitarian Universalism. So thank you, and well done. Now, I know some of you have been giving your heart and soul to the current campaign. And as as I said before, so much of the courageous work done by Unitarian Universalists on behalf of democracy has concerned voting rights and elections. But I wanna spend the rest of my sermon this morning making the case for seeing democracy as something more than voting and campaigning and for viewing next Wednesday, the day after the election, as being equally if not more important than election day itself. Now I know that sounds kind of strange in the midst of this very heated and contentious campaign after all, isn't electing our leaders the most important thing we do in a representative democracy? Well, in a sense it is, but I think one of the biggest mistakes we can make is to conclude that once those leaders are in place, our responsibilities as citizens and as Unitarian Universalists committed to freedom, justice, and equality comes to an end until it's time you know, to gear up for the next election in two years or in four years." But it is during that time between elections that the laws that truly impact people's lives are debated, discussed, and passed. It is during the time between elections that justice is achieved or denied, that freedom is expanded or contracted, and the barriers holding people back or keeping them apart are torn down or raised higher." Now, I know all of this sounds good in theory, but is there really any way that one person or, one, or is there any way for one relatively small religion like Unitarian Universalism, or perhaps for one mid-sized congregation in, on Mortarwood Road in Fairlawn, Ohio, is there really any way between elections for us to make a difference? Well, there is. And I'm gonna illustrate that by telling you a story about how one Unitarian Universalist congregation, and no surprise, it's this Unitarian Universalist congregation, played a small but important role in helping an important piece of legislation having to do with racial and economic justice here in Ohio become law late last year. Last fall, a number of our social justice leaders began meeting with an organization in downtown Akron called the Akron Organizing Collaborative. During our meetings with the AOC, their leaders told us about a piece of legislation that their statewide organization, the Ohio Organizing Collaborative, had written and was pushing hard to get passed by the Ohio House and Senate. The bill effectively banned the box on applications for public sector jobs in Ohio. Those applications asked an applicant to check a box if they had ever been convicted of a felony. You've undoubtedly seen that question, that box on job applications in the past. Based on research demonstrating that such questions made it virtually impossible for Ex convicts, or as the AOC folks taught us to say, returning citizens, to ever get a job after their release from prison, this bill sought to give those returning citizens, many of whom are African Americans convicted of petty drug crimes, a chance at a new life. During our conversations about the bill, the AOC leaders mentioned to us that the committee in the state Senate with control over the bill's future prospects was chaired by a state senator who represents the district this church is located in. It just so happened, by coincidence, that a few months earlier, my wife Carol, Larry Wallerstein, and I had paid a courtesy call on that senator during his open office hours at the Stowe Town Paul and we had found him to be interested in what was going on in the church and in our social justice programs. Part of his interest, ironically, was the fact that many years ago, he actually attended preschool here <laughs> and, um, and uh, asked me about if Mrs. Himes, is Jill here today? I don't think so, was still there, and that he had spent many times um, in trouble. So, <laughs> so I thought, hey, we got some leverage now, you know, so... Um, so, after, so the fact that we had met with this senator and the folks at AOC had told us about his, his, the important role he was playing, we decided to partner with them to reach out to the senator in an effort to encourage him to move the bill forward when it came before his committee. Our first step was to invite all of you last November, about a year from today, in fact, to sign a letter that our own Scott Pyfo drafted that encouraged the senator and other representatives to support the Ban the Box bill and to move it forward through his committee. Almost all of you who were in church that day signed on, on that Sunday, and we made it, and we now had over the, vo- the voices of over 100 Unitarian Universalists. I had quite a stack to take with me. The following weekend, I had the privilege of joining one of the leaders of the AOC in meeting with the senator during his office hours at the Stowe Town Hall. He remembered me in the church. We kidded around about Mrs. Himes in the preschool, and uh, he was very interested in hearing what I and my colleague from AOC had to say, and he was very glad to receive your letters, Now I haven't been involved in very many face-to-face lobbying or advocacy efforts and I admit I was a bit nervous when we sat down to talk about the bill. Neither one of us who were there had any idea where he stood. But I have to tell you that rarely have I been part of a more successful and satisfying meeting, a meeting that made me feel as if our church was making a real difference. As it turned out, my colleague from the AOC did most of the talking And in some ways my main role was simply to introduce him to the senator as one of the church's partners. But that was just fine because by the end of our meeting it was clear that the senator not only supported the bill but that he was determined to move it through the committee in the very near future. And I'm so happy to report to you that in a matter of weeks the bill had passed both the Ohio Senate and House and that last December Governor Kasich signed it into law. Now, I tell you this story because I feel it illustrates the impact a church like ours can have if we take the democratic process seriously, not just in the days and weeks leading up to an election, but in the days, weeks, and months between those elections. With a little bit of effort and elbow grease, I feel that we have made a real difference in the struggle for racial justice here in Ohio. Of course, the ban the box law is a very small step in a very long and complicated journey. There is so much more that needs to be done. But the work of justice is usually accomplished in small steps. And as our experience with the ban the box bill demonstrates, we can, along with community partners, make those small steps together for justice. So that's the message of hope and possibility I want to leave you with today. Whatever your political persuasion may be, please make sure you vote if you haven't already this Tuesday. So many have struggled and sacrificed so that you can journey into that polling place and exercise your right to vote. And I don't have to remind you of how much is at stake in this election. Don't let someone else make this most important and sacred decision for you. And I also hope that you will let your Unitarian Universalism shine when you cast your vote. Now, it's not my place to tell you today who to vote for, but I do want to encourage you to consult your deepest values and the values of Unitarian Universalism in making your choices. Ask yourself which candidates come closest to respecting the dignity and worth of every person. Which candidates are committed to building a world of justice for all people and for this planet? And ask yourself, which candidates have the compassion and the understanding to move our country and our world away from so much war and violence and toward peace among all people and all nations? And once the voting is over and the results are in, I hope you will see that the work of democracy and the work of justice and peace are just beginning. There is so much justice to be done, and we can play an important and meaningful role in that work. We are taking some very exciting next steps with our racial justice work, including a wonderful conference that we're hosting in two weeks uh, called Race Forward, and I hope many of you will attend. In addition, we're holding a conversation today at noon right here in the sanctuary about the possibility of purchasing a Black Lives Matter banner, and I hope many of you will join us for that discussion. And finally, if you want to see our congregation doing more justice work and stepping out more boldly into the community, I hope you'll attend our mission and vision workshop next Saturday at 9 a.m. Those conversations we'll have that morning will be the very important first steps in mapping out who we are and where we want to go as a congregation in the coming years. So I hope you'll be able to come and join us for all those things. I know I'm giving you a lot of assignments this morning. So let me simply conclude by offering my appreciation for your commitment to our democracy and to this congregation. Your voices, your hopes, your values, your priorities, they matter and they can make a real difference. Don't let the voices of negativity and cynicism get in your way. Stand up, make your voice heard and take those small steps for freedom, justice and peace. And remember, if you need more inspiration, remember the timeless words from the famed anthropologist Margaret Mead who simply said, never doubt, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. Blessed be, thank you for listening and make sure you get out and vote on Tuesday.
0: We thank you again and encourage you to seek us out on Facebook and Twitter or to come see us on Sunday mornings at 1030. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or however you listen. To learn more about our commitment to building the beloved community or to find ways to connect, visit us at uuacron.org.